0: by spending time by being with him we can become like him in order to do the things that uh, Jesus did and as we turn into this new year we're going to spend some more time looking at this and we're going we're to do that starting this very morning and as always because we love the scriptures if you've got a bible which I'm sure you've all brought with you because you're well done <laughs> that looks like a bible it looks like a phone actually um, if you've got a Bible, telling me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. I'm going to pray before we read this. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that your spirit is here with us. We ask right now that you would come by your Holy Spirit, that you would still inquire our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us, that you would minister to us, and that you would lead us into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 11 chapter 28 uh, Matthew 11 verse twenty eight says this come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and what we've got here in this uh, probably far too familiar text is this wonderful invitation from Jesus to any of us who although we're only one week into the new year may possibly find ourselves already feeling um, a little jaded uh, those of us who despite the Christmas break may still, still feel sort of as, as tired and as weary as we did in the run up uh, to Christmas. Those of us who actually already are pretty stressed out, pretty exhausted from the Christmas season, and those of us who are parents, particularly of younger children, uh, are pretty exhausted by the school holidays. They are such a blessing um, and not at the same time. But if that's you this morning, I want you to um, sit back, I want you to relax, I want you to just breathe. Deeply and allow the Word of God and the Spirit of God minister to you this morning, because the truth is in our modern age, most of us live with like a low grade, a low grade fatigue and anxiety that um, rarely, if ever, goes away. I love eugene peterson 's paraphrase of this passage uh, from the message, and it, it reads like this: it says "Are you tired, worn out, burned out?" This is an invitation to what might be called the unhurried life. You know, it just um, apparently feels good in the sort of marrow of your bones to wake up in the morning as you look at another day and think, great, another day, another opportunity to live life as a follower of Jesus, another opportunity to do all the things that God has called me to do, to be all the things that God has called me to be. And the trouble is, if we're being honest with ourselves, um, how many of us would say that much as we love this text... Because it's a familiar text, most of us are familiar with it, but the reality is that when we look at this text, we kind of go, it's great, but I I don't really know that I relate to it that well. You know, I think I'm following Jesus, I'm I'm sort of here, I've shown up this morning, Uh, but truth be told, I I am pretty tired, Uh, I am am pretty worn out, Uh, I am actually, if I'm being honest, kind of burnt out on religion. All those things sort of apply, and if that's you uh, this morning, then um, trust me, you are not alone. Chances are the people who are sat around you, uh, all around you, feel exactly the same way as you do. I know that I certainly do from time to time. But I read this passage and I find myself saying to myself, you know, that's fantastic. Look at that. That's awesome. I love this passage. But hand on heart, I, I say to myself, I'm not sure if that's my everyday experience. But this passage has the potential to unlock a a whole new dimension in our discipleship to Jesus, in our apprenticeship to Jesus. Um, If you've been around the church for any length of time, you'll be very familiar with this passage. But hidden in plain sight is what Dallas Willard calls the secret of the easy yoke. And and Dallas Willard, he writes this, he says this, this, In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of things like loving our enemies or going the second mile or turning the other cheek or suffering patiently and hopefully whilst living the rest of our lives just as everybody else around us does. It's a strategy that's bound to fail and what he's saying is on the one hand very simple and on the other very profound sort of Dallas Willard Um, as we said a few weeks ago if we want to experience the life of Jesus um, we're going to have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus because the way of Jesus is just that it's a way of life and It's this lifestyle that Jesus is getting at through this imagery of the the yoke, which is this first century farming metaphor, which is lost on the vast majority of those of us who aren't actually farmers. Theologian Frederick Dale Bruner, he he wrote this. He said, a yoke is a work instrument. So when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least, Surely they need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give those who are tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We we can't get away from them. But instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment Jesus means that walking with him and in his steps will develop in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we've been living and the reality is, the truth is, life is incredibly tricky. It seems to me that life gets harder and harder uh, the older you get, not easier and easier. The weight of the responsibilities that we carry as we get older and older seems to get heavier and heavier and bigger and bigger. Uh, and if we're honest, sometimes our discipleship to Jesus, our relationship with Jesus, um, can sometimes just feel like another weight that's being put on top of us along with all the other things that we've got to carry. And so we find ourselves saying things like, I'm already tired, you know, I'm working a 60-hour week, I'm way too busy, you know, I just don't have the time. And I already am maxed out, and now it feels like you're saying to me that, on top of all of the stuff that I'm carrying in my life, I, you're also saying that I've got to read my Bible every single day. And you know, it's day seven, and I'm already seven days behind in my Bible in a year. Uh, I haven't actually sort of got past January the thirteenth from 19, 20, 2016. Um, you know, 19. I know, uh, just a slip of the confessional tongue there. Um, you know, but it's like i've got to read my bible every single day and like you know reading the like reading the bible in a year is fantastic but like there are like long passages you, you know like there's a whole old testament thing and there's a, like a whole new testament thing there's like a whole psalms thing it's exhausting you know uh, not only that i'm supposed to pray without ceasing you know it's like i don't say how i can pray without ceasing when i'm supposed to be reading the bible as well as all the other things that i'm doing like i don't know how you do all these things and now you want me to sign up for these blasted small groups Right? It's like, you know, do you not know what I've got going on in my life? And, and you also want me to come to church every single week, like every week, not just like occasionally, like you insist, I come every single week. And, 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 it's like, honestly, it's just like overwhelming. And if we feel like that, and the truth is who doesn't, maybe we should look again at this picture that Jesus gives of this yoke. Because a yoke was, was almost always used to bind together like two oxen or, or something like that so that they could more easily carry a load, so that they could um, you know, pull a heavy cart, so that they could plow a field. And what Jesus is actually saying in this passage from Matthew 11 is, is Jesus is like saying, you know, I'm, I'm here. I, I'm here and I've got this yoke. Why don't, why, don't, why, don't why don't you come alongside me? Uh, and and match your step with mine. Match your pace of life with mine. But just let me carry all the weight, okay? Let me do all the heavy lifting. You just come in here, just come in under my arm right next to me and we'll do this thing called life together and trust me, it will be easy. It'll be so much easier than you trying to carry this thing called life all on your own. If you haven't worked it out yet, one of the hardest ways to do life following Jesus is the way a lot of us in the Western world do life following Jesus. And it's to basically carry on living life in exactly the same way as all the other people around us that we know, do life, whether they're believers or not. Um, And we try to be all and do all and have all the things that our culture demands that we are entitled to. And then what we do is we try to just sort of bolt on following Jesus. We sort of try and add in a bit of following Jesus on top of all of that. And the truth is that's like so hard, it's almost impossible. And for many of us, it's like crushing us and killing us off. And it's going to just lead to frustration and failure, which are on the horizon. A much easier way to follow Jesus, a much more radically countercultural way to follow Jesus, is to um, radically alter the way that we do our whole lives. And to take the pattern actually set by Jesus' lifestyle, not just in um, the decision to do things like loving our enemies, but in our daily routines, in our weekly rhythms. The pattern and the fabric, the warp and the woof of our life. Because when we adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, the life of Jesus becomes the natural overflow. And that's the secret of the easy yoke. Now, if you're anything like me, when we hear all of that, we kind of go, that sounds awesome. That sounds amazing. Sign me up, you know. Um, There's just one minor sort of detail that you've sort of overlooked um, and that's this idea that to take up this easy yoke, to, to, to walk in step with Jesus, to, to, to live life at Jesus' pace, that, that I think is going to mean that I'm going to have to slow down. You know, I, I know about Jesus' pace of life, um, and I know about my pace of life, and, and, and they're, they're actually, they're not very similar. They're not at all the same. If there's one thing that you pick up from reading about the life of Jesus from the Gospels, Jesus was, never, he was pretty much never in a hurry. Um, yes, his life was full. Jesus was here and he was there and he was everywhere. And yet he would always like take time out to find some time to be by himself, to rest and to pray. Um, but he was never really in a rush. Like, he would stop. Jesus was very present for interruptions. And so, um, interruption after interruption followed Jesus wherever he went. You know, people around him would get really, the disciples particularly, would get really frustrated with Jesus. Because he'd be like, you know, um, it's like, well, Jesus, what are you doing now? What's he doing? Like, we've got a place to be. We're supposed to be across the lake by now. And Jesus, what are you doing? It's like, well, you know, he's, like, he's, he's praying for some woman. It's like, why are you praying for that woman well, you know, she's dying? It's like, well, yes, all these other people, they're all dying. You know, like, let's keep on the schedule. We've got, like, places to be, people to see, things to do, miracles to happen, all that kind of stuff. And Jesus would cause all this frustration because he was very open to responding to what the Spirit of God was doing in the moment. Very open to the interruption of being uh, present. He was never in a hurry. John Ortberg, he was a pastor at uh, Willow Creek Church in the States. He was mentored by Dallas Willard. And he called up Dallas Willard one day because he was, he was feeling a bit stuck in his discipleship and his apprenticeship to Jesus. And so he wasn't quite where he wanted to be. And he called up Dallas Willard. Uh, and he said, you know, like, what do I need to do? I'm feeling a bit stuck. And he said uh, that there was this long, awkward silence on the phone. He's like, what's he going to say? And then Dallas Willard said, hurry, is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Orbo's like, wow, that's great. That's awesome. Wow. Fantastic. Write that down. You know, That's really good. And then he said to Dallas Willard, he said, what else? You know, what's, what else do I need to do? And then he said there was another long pause um, before Dallas Willard said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual, the spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And if someone were to ask you, you know, what's the greatest challenge in your spiritual life right now? What is the greatest block, as it were, to you encountering the fullness of life with Jesus? What, what do you think your answer might be? I mean, like, what do you think is getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus? Because... Whatever the answer to that question may be, I wonder how many of us would say, hurry. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And we've got to remember, you know, the enemy, when we talk about, you know, is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day, when we're thinking about the enemy, and we believe that the enemy is at work trying to thwart God's plans and purposes for our lives. But, you know, the enemy doesn't show up as like this little kind of red demon with kind of pitchfork and horns. The enemy distracts us from the fullness of life in jesus um he, he kind of manifests himself and his way in our lives in this culture in our society through the sort of kick that we get from you know um checking our iphones every 30 seconds or whatever it is you know so that we can see what's going on in the lives of the people who we desperately want to be like we don't want to confess to it but we desperately want to be like the people that we're looking at on facebook and you know instagram and twitter or wherever it else that it is Um, Or he shows up in that kind of kick that we get from staying an extra hour or two at the office, desperately hoping that someone's going to notice us and the work that we're putting in, the commitment so that we get that promotion that we're so desperate for. Or the enemy shows up in our lives by giving us commitment after commitment after commitment after commitment on top of commitment so that we're so busy, we're just constantly on the go all the time. Carl Jung said, uh, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. And the number one problem that we face is time. And the reality is most of us are just far too busy to lead emotionally healthy, spiritually healthy, rich, and vibrant lives. I came across this the other day. Uh, it may well be the case that, at one, Christians are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And that leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives. And that leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which in turn leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which in turn leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And so the cycle begins again. And we kind of look at that and we're like, oh, I don't know, that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. And maybe one of the reasons it makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable is because we recognize uh, much of our lives Catholic writer Ronald Rolheiser, he put it this way. He said, today a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but simply to have any interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are the major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Happy New Year. <laughs> I didn't say it was going to be fun. I was like, you know. I can't help but wonder, I've been this mulling, the Lord's been speaking to me a lot about this lately. Um, I can't help but wonder if Jesus wouldn't say to many of us here this morning what he said to Martha, you know, in that famous line from that classic story. Martha, Martha, And and you can just insert your name. You are worried and upset about many things. You know, in Jesus' story of Martha and Mary, Jesus is like, Martha, this is a paraphrase, you're in the kitchen and you're cooking all this food and the food's great and I'm really grateful and that's fantastic and you've been really, really busy and you've been like hectically running around like a headless chicken and stuff like that. But here's Mary sitting at my feet and, and that's the posture of a disciple. Uh, the need of the hour, according to Pete Skazero, he wrote the emotion, emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, which is another challenging book on my Christmas reading list. Uh, he calls for a slowed down spirituality. We all know that our world has, like, world has sped up to a frenetic pace. Um, ironically the clock was invented by monks it's all their fault and and the, the clock was invented by monks so that they could remember to do their fixed hour of prayer right so you know like they pray like a million times a day and the bells the, the clock would ding dong and they'd all run uh, off to do the fixed time fixed hour of prayer or the daily office a lot of historians point to sort of the year 1370 as a turning point in history when the first public clock was kind of thrown up in cologne and that It kind of marks a shift in our relationship with time because prior to that time was sort of natural and it was it was based on the rotation of the earth it was based on the seasons it was based on day and night you know and the clock creates this artificial time and so along with it comes things like the the, the slog of the nine to five and a whole bunch of other stuff and then um, edison goes and invents the light bulb which was genius on the one hand an absolute nightmare on the other because it fundamentally altered everybody's sleep patterns prior to that i think 150 years ago the average european was sleeping like 11 hours a night you know fantastic um you know but the reality is if you lived in the northern hemisphere uh you know 90 percent of the day is like dark in the winter months and so once you've run out of the candles that you made earlier on in the day there's not really much else to do apart from go to bed um and then, like, a hundred years ago, you could, all these uh, things started to change as um, inventions, technological inventions started to come along that would – these labor-saving devices, which were amazing. Um, you know, we used to have to walk everywhere. Now we get to drive. People used to actually, like, have to sit down and write letters. And um, Kate and I were courting. I know it's not a word anyone uses anymore, but uh, when we were that's how long ago it was. When we were courting, I was living in Paris, Kate was living in London, and we couldn't afford to keep, there were no mobile phones, we couldn't afford to keep um, phoning each other because um, we were going bankrupt rapidly. And um, I could never find enough francs back in the day uh, for the payphone. So we wrote to each other. Like, we wrote to each other like every single day and we'd write letters and put them in envelopes and stick stamps on them and put them in letterboxes and then they would do, be delivered. We've got all those letters from those days. But people used to actually write letters. Um, now we've just got email and serial, all kinds of other things. But in spite of our washing machines and our micros and our dishwashers and our iPhones and all of that, um, most of us feel like we've got less time and not more. And the, the, the question really is, where did all of the time go? Because technology really does save time. The answer is that we've just spent it on something else. Um, In the 1960s, the intellectuals thought that by now we would all be working much fewer hours. There was a study carried out in 1967 which said that by 1985, the average working week would be 22 hours a week. And we would work for 27 weeks a year. Maybe in France. They thought the problem in the future, I lived in France, I can say that. Uh, I experienced it firsthand. Uh, the, the, they thought that the main problem in the future was going to be too much leisure, too much like downtime. But the reality is, studies have been done since 1973, leisure has decreased by 37%. That's quite a lot. And over the same time, like, this whole period of, like, um, the whole concept of Sunday being like a Sabbath has has just been, like, completely obliterated. Again, when I was growing up, and yes, it was uh, the 1970s, um, but shops were closed on Sunday, Like everything was closed on Sunday. For those of you who are just a tad younger than my good self, you just try to imagine a world where one day a week, um, every single week, you wake up and everything is closed. And like everything. Everything that is apart from the church. The only thing that was open on Sundays was the church. And the pub. But we won't go there. You have to have somewhere to go after church the idea of the sabbath this, it's like it, it, to us we kind of even those of us who experienced it it's like so it's such a dim and faint recollection we're not even sure that it actually happened because the pace of life has changed so dramatically it's like yeah i seem to remember there was this other world where things like were closed on a sunday and some of you who were born like, more recently would be like no that couldn't ever possibly happen that's ridiculous and it was there, it was part of our cultural rhythm, not just not just for the people of God, but for everyone. And then about ten years ago we get the iPhone invented and then the whole world and more devastatingly the world of work ends up in our back pocket twenty four seven. Twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. Unless we think we're not addicted to those bad boys and um, just try switching your iPhone off for twenty four hours switch your phone off for 24 hours and see how long it takes before you break break out into a cold sweat I switched my phone off um, from about uh, 7 o'clock on Friday night until about 6, 7 o'clock last night and it was lovely like the world didn't fall apart so I was surprised, I mean I thought it would um, but apparently it didn't and um, yeah, I, I would encourage you to do that All of this to say there's something deeply wrong in our culture. Um, Someone once said that hurry is a form of violence to the soul. All this hurry is is actually wounding us somewhere very profoundly and very deeply, and we're not necessarily even mindful of it. And none of us is immune. I've been reading a lot of Ruth Haley Barton over Christmas, um, more challenging reading. And amongst other things, she describes 10 signs that maybe, maybe, just maybe, we're moving too fast through life. And the first sign is irritability. Not guilty. Um, <laughs> meaning, steady, people. Meaning, uh, apparently, I think this means that you lose your temper and you're on edge a little bit more than you should perhaps be. Um, and then, secondly, is hypersensitivity. When someone tells you that you're irritable, you, get, you overreact. You know, like, your, your feelings are hurt really, like, easily. A third thing would be restlessness, meaning that, you know, when you actually do stop to rest, you can't actually stop to rest. You can't actually relax. Um, You can't fall asleep. Or or when you do stop, you, you can't stop and be still. You find yourself fidgeting or you need to look at your phone or you need to look at your computer. or You need to look at something. You need to be doing something. I can't just sit. Restlessness. And then fourth is this compulsive overworking, whereby you just keep working even though you don't actually have to keep working. Nobody, there's no external force telling you that you should keep working. You just feel that you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing. So you carry on. And then fifth is numbness, which means you just don't have this, the emotional capacity for empathy for the people around you. Which leads to um, escapist behaviors. You know, you're just binge-watching um, Game of Thrones or Stranger Things. Um, I have to confess, I, I, I did binge-watch um, Stranger Things just before Christmas. Like, I just watched it back-to-back. Back. It, ama- it is amazing. Um, but it's a really bad sign, okay? It means that you're probably um, li- moving too fast through life. Um, but you, you, you know, you may not binge-watch um, box sets, Uh, For you, it could be um, alcohol, it could be social media, whatever your drug of choice is. You know, everyone has one. Uh, But escapist behaviors are an indicator that perhaps you're moving too fast, you need to slow down. Um, Seventh, you begin to feel disconnected from your sense of self, from your identity and your calling. Uh, Eight is you're not able to attend to human needs like um, sleeping properly, exercise, food, eating well, all those kind of things. Uh, Nine, you start to hoard energy, and then 10 is there's a slippage in the spiritual practices where the spiritual disciplines just um, start to become less and less regular and if we're honest just non-existent so I kind of read that list and I got, I got quite depressed quite quickly because um, I read that and I'm on about a 7 out of 10 I think and it's one of those tests that you're actually supposed to score a really low mark on not a high mark because I thought oh great 7 out of 10 that's good 70% and I was like oh no 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 I think I'm reading this wrong Um, how many of us kind of look at that and go hmm that sort of sounds like it describes my life and what does this say about us the point is this as we move into the new year with all its possibilities and opportunities we've got this problem and the problem that we're all facing is time and the solution to the problem is not more time how often do we find ourselves saying I just wish there were more hours in the day that's not going to solve the problem. All we would do, all I would do, is just fill up those hours that I've been given um, with exactly the same stuff that I'm filling up, the 24 hours that I've already been given with, and I would just find myself even more tired, even more frazzled, even more stressed. Dallas Willard writes, of course, it is a fallacy to think that one just needs more time. Unless a deeper solution is found, more time will just fill up in exactly the same way as the time that we already have. The solution isn't more time. The solution is to slow down. Is to simplify our lives around the essentials of following Jesus. And that's what the followers of Jesus have been demonstrating for us for millennia and somehow we've missed it you look at sort of the defining arc of our lives you know from genesis chapter one a story that goes back thousands of years um, and it says that that to be made human is to be made one in the image of god yes but also it says that we're made from the dust of the earth We're made in the image of God, which means that, among other things, we're we're created, we're designed, we're made to uh, rule and subdue this wonderful um, world in which we find ourselves. We're filled with this incredible potential, There's wonderful opportunity and wonderful possibility. Um, But made from the dust means that we're also human. We're finite. We're not infinite. We are mere mortals. We are not immortal. We are made out of the ground. And so we, somehow we've got to learn how to live in this tension. And one of the challenges that we all face is how are we going to live into both the awesome potential that is within each one of us, whilst living mindfully of our limitations? Because the culture in which we find ourselves only wants to talk about our potential. Which is great. You know, the culture around us says you can be anything you want. You can do whatever you want. You can become whatever you want. You can have whatever you want. And you can have it whenever you want it. But it's just as important to remember our limitations. Because that's not true for all of us. You know, we live in an age that wants us to be super human. And we've been told, like, how many times that we can have it all and be it all and do it all. And so we become incredibly frantic and driven. And so we have to, you know, read every book and see every film and and visit everywhere and travel to every single country on the planet and eat at every restaurant and go to every pub and go to every gig and be the top of our field and be really popular and make lots of money and, 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 and. And all the time, we're supposed to forget that actually we're just human and we have limitations. It's just not real. And we wonder why we're stressed. And more importantly, we wonder why our children are stressed. Because some of these messages are ones that we are relaying to our children. That may be the narrative of the culture that we're in, but it's not the defining narrative of being a follower of Jesus. Yes, we are made in the image of God. And yes, we are made from the dust of the earth. You're a human being. You have limitations. Let's accept those limitations. We are not God. We were not supposed to be God. That's okay. And one of the limitations that we all share is 24 hours in a day. No matter what we do, nobody here has more than 24 hours in a day. So as we turn into this new year, as we turn our attention to what we want to do differently, we're going to have to learn this year to how to live deliberately. We're going to have to slow down. You move too fast. You've got to let the morning last. Just kicking down the cobblestone. Looking for fun and... Feeling groovy. Feeling groovy. You see, like, it's just all about feeling feeling groovy. It's a hippie sermon. And there's something deep in us that actually sighs with profound relief about the possibility of taking on the easy yet. We're like, oh, yes, please, yes, please, 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 please. I, I, do want to slow, I really want to slow down. I really want to become all that he has for us. But this isn't going to be easy. This is a radically counter-cultural way to live. Um, this is definitely, definitely us as followers of Jesus swimming against the tide and swimming upstream. So we're going to need help, and we're going to need to help one another. We have to do this in the context of community, and we have to do this with one another, just because life is just too crazy. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this some more. We're going to keep doing so over the coming year. If you're interested in finding out more about what this looks like, there's this fantastic small group that's running. Uh, this whole sermon has actually been about a recruitment drive for my small group. Okay. It's called um, Rhythms of Grace. It's on a Tuesday night. It's going to be at the yard. It's going to be absolutely flipping awesome. We're going to be looking at all of this. Uh, if you want to explore what this looks like, um, sign up. And I need to have more people signing up to my group than anybody else, right? So, like, just... Even if you don't come, it doesn't matter. Just sign up, right? Because it's all about the numbers. Um, It's all about success and looking good. That's that's on... That's 11. That's 11. Hypersensitivity. Shut up! (laughs) Irritability. (laughs) Anyway... We've got two millennia. We've got 2,000 years of time-tested rhythms and practices from the life of Jesus and the ministry and the history of the early church that we really ought to be uh, looking into and researching and practicing. Rhythms of the easy yoke. Things like silence, things like solitude, things like prayer, things like fasting, things like Bible reading, Sabbath, simplicity, community, and on and on and on. And they're not the heavy oppressive yoke. That we think that they are. They are actually the the unforced rhythms of grace. They are the the key, the the the, the ingredients, if you like, of the life of the easy. Because this stuff really matters. This is where the rubber hits the road. We're all in it together. We're all trying to learn how to do life as best we possibly can following Jesus. We're all living in this time, we're all living in this place with all of its pressures and all of its demand, demands. And every single morning, every time we wake up, we've got to decide. You know, we, every day we have the opportunity to make a decision and a choice as to whether we're going to carry on living at the breakneck speed that we've been going at through life or are we going to and, and, and just try and work in a little bit of Jesus stuff along the way. Or are we actually going to radically alter the pace of our life? Are we going to very intentionally and deliberately choose to slow down and take up the easy yoke of Jesus? Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life.